Good morning. Welcome. Welcome to Calvary Baptist Church. We're so glad that you've joined us on this very humid May day. Um, this morning we are continuing in our worship series about God's surprises and what it might look like to be open to surprises and unexpected things that God has in store for us. This morning we're also celebrating several things. New life in our church family with a parent-child dedication and new chapters as we recognize our senior high school graduates. So I'm going to ask our senior high grads to join me up front. So I know that you know who these people are, but if you don't, we are going to, or y'all are going to share a little bit about who you are, where you're graduating from, and what your plans are for next year. Hello, everyone. In case you don't know me, I'm Libby Grant. Um, I'm graduating from Waco High School next Saturday, and I'm planning on attending Texas A&M studying biomedical engineering, so that's what I'll be doing. Uh, I'm Will Heston, and I'm going to be graduating from Midway High School, and I will be attending Rice University. Okay, so these students, all of our students are very special to me, but Will and Libby were just finishing seventh grade when I started at Calvary. And so it has been a joy and an honor, as I'm sure it has been for all of us, to watch you both grow um, physically. Um, Will has been basically the same height since I got here. Um, <laughs> but just change and mature, um, but also just spiritually to watch you both grow and become adults, which is very weird for me to say that. Um, so we have some gifts for y'all, so can you hold this mic? So these are just new Bibles, which we traditionally give to our seniors, um, and I hope that these will inspire you to continue on in the ways that you've learned in this place. Um, I hope these Bibles will be with you for many years, and I hope that when you use them and read them, you think about your church family and remember how much we love you and that we are always celebrating you. Um, we're so grateful for what you've been to us, and I have a little quote that I'm going to read really quick before we end. And this is from Let Your Life Speak by Parker Palmer. Our deepest calling is to grow into our authentic selfhood, whether or not it conforms to some image of who we think we ought to be. As we do so, we will not only find the joy that every human being seeks, we will also find our path of authentic service in this world. True vocation joins self and service, as Frederick Buechner asserts when he defines vocation as the place where your deep gladness meets the world's deep need. When I first read this book, I wrote in here, this is something I want to teach our students. And so I hope that you all have learned that here, and I hope that you'll be inspired to continue to learn how to be your authentic self as you leave this place with God's help.
God of surprises, give us faith. May we be willing to let down our nets again, even when they have come back empty. May we let go of our own control and listen to your call, even when it defies what we think to be true. May we be open to the ways you are calling us to communicate with you and always awake to your surprises. Amen. introduce you to a very special family today. Let me begin by stating that Christopher wrote this introduction, so in his words, Finn St. Edmund Rose was born November 26, 2018 to his parents Christopher and Tiffany Rose and his brother Jude. Finn enjoys the dulcet tones of his brother wailing for his mother, <laughs> watching the fireflies as they herald the coming darkness and giggling sweetly as he keeps his parents from slumber night after night. <laughs> you may also notice in Finn's picture in the worship folder that he holds the self-proclaimed title of Mr. Adorable. Today we celebrate the life of Finn and recognize it as a sign of the kingdom of God. We also celebrate the importance of community in the life of a child and parent. Christopher and Tiffany, we would also like to present with you a letter for you to read to Finn on the day that he accepts Jesus as Savior and chooses to follow Christ's example in baptism. This letter will remind Finn of this day of dedication in which you and their church community made a commitment to come alongside him in his faith journey. 
This letter will also remind him that he is loved and cherished by you, by the church, and by God. And so, Chris and Tiffany, we ask you to covenant with us today. In dedicating Finn, St. Edmund to the Lord, will you teach him by your word and example to love the Lord with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love his neighbor as himself? Will you pray for and with Finn and entrust him to God's care? And will you seek to surround him with a community of faith that Finn may be nurtured and strengthened in his journey with Christ? Calvary, we ask you to be part of this covenant we make together today as well. And so will you covenant to be the family of God in this place for these parents and their children, supporting them through your prayer, encouragement, and your faithful presence in their lives? Now we would like to take a moment for you to welcome Finn into the Calvary family. At Calvary, we often bless one another by laying hands on one another. And so today, we will have a time of prayer and laying on hands for the Rose family. And so I would like to invite any of their immediate family members who want to come on forward to surround them with prayer. And then right behind them, anyone else who wants to join is welcome to come and lay a hand on them and pray as well. So feel free to come forward at this time.
God, we thank you for Finn and his parents. We pray that Finn would know your love and your presence with him always. Give Finn your peace and protect him in times of trouble. Strengthen him and surround him with your love. May he grow in Christ and live fully into the person you are creating him to be. All this we pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. A reading from Jeremiah. At that time, says the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord. The people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. When Israel sought for rest, the Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. A reading from the Gospel of John. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this his way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, a hundred fifty-three of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
Well, raise your hand if you've ever been fishing. Yeah? Did you catch anything? Yeah? What about you, Davis? Did you catch anything? Yeah? Did you catch? Did you catch anything? How did that feel when you caught something? Good. Yeah? Did you go fishing? Yeah? Proud of yourself? How did it feel if you went and you didn't catch anything? Always another chance. That's a good outlook. Was it maybe a little disappointing, though? Like, a little sad? Yeah, yeah, sometimes that just happens. Sometimes you catch something, sometimes you don't. Well, I thought we could go fishing this morning with my bucket and this fishing rod. Let's see if we catch anything. What do you think? Huh, nothing. What about this time? Ah, nothing. All right, try one more time. something. Look, it's a wooden cross. Raise your hand if you're surprised that there's something in there. <laughs> you thought I forgot. Well, as we heard in our scripture reading this morning, the disciples were also surprised when they had been fishing all night and caught nothing. But when Jesus showed up and told them what to do, they caught so many fish that their nets started to break. When we do what Jesus tells us to do and follow him, we don't always get the, re get the results that we expect to, do we? Now, many times he surprises us with even more than we could even ask for or imagine, like the love he showed us by dying on the cross and then resurrecting on Easter morning. Our verse for this series reminds us of the surprising fact that if we trust in Jesus and commit our lives to him, we are new creations. If you know it, you can say it with me. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for this day. Thank you for the way that you speak to us in the lives of children and in stories that amaze us and surprise us. God, I pray that as we continue throughout worship this morning, we would be open to hearing from you and to being surprised by the good things you are doing in our lives. In your name I pray. Amen.
Now, gracious God, in these moments, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of all of our hearts together in this room be found pleasing to you. O Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, how many of you have read at least one of the Harry Potter books by J.K. Rowling? At least one. How about two, three, four? How many of you have read every single one? That's awesome. Okay. Well, several years ago, Rowling was asked to speak at Harvard University's commencement ceremony, and she shared the following words. Seven years after my graduation from college, she says, I had failed on an epic scale. My exceptionally short-lived marriage had imploded. I was jobless. I had a new baby. And I was as poor as it is possible to be in modern Britain without being homeless. By every usual standard, I was the biggest failure I knew. But the saving grace for J.K. during this time, she says, was her writing. And on a train one day, she began to imagine this story about a boy named Harry Potter who goes to wizarding school. And so soon, she began to write his story during every spare moment she could find. When she had finally finished the first three chapters of the book, she excitedly sent the manuscript off to a publisher who quickly declined. So then she sent it off to another publisher, but once again, the answer was no. After receiving rejections from at least a dozen different publishers, Rowling began to lose confidence in her dream about this young boy named Harry Potter. But she decided to try one more time, and she sent the manuscript off to a small publisher in London. Well, a few days later, the editor at Bloomsbury Publishing sat down to read Rowling's manuscript, and so did his eight-year-old daughter. The little girl fell in love with the opening chapter so much that she begged her father to please let her read the whole story, which is ultimately what led him to publish Rowling's novel. But he warned Rowling that she would need to get a day job because even though her story was great, she would never really make much money with children's literature. <laughs> and he's also the one who recommended that she go by the initials JK because young boys would never want to read a book written by a woman. Well, today, J.K. Rowling's books have sold more than 500 million copies in 80 different languages to boys and girls, men and women worldwide, making the Harry Potter novels the best-selling book series throughout all history. Now, I think it's so interesting that Rowling could have chosen to share about her incredible success as a writer at Harvard's commencement ceremony that day, but she didn't. Instead, she chose to share about her failures. Father Richard Rohr says it this way, once we reach the age of 30, he says, success really has nothing to teach us anymore. Success is fun and rewarding, he says, but we don't learn anything new from it. It's not a bad friend. It's just a lousy teacher. The only thing that can teach us, that can really get through to us and profoundly change us, he says, is failure. You know, looking through our Gospels, I wonder if the disciples would have agreed with Richard Rohr. Because it seems as if the only reason they keep learning what this whole life of following Jesus is all about is because they just keep failing at it. They continually mess up. They continually just don't get it. They continually fail to even recognize who Jesus is. But I also think that their overwhelming sense of failure means that they are continually surprised 
at what God does next. Well, that's especially true here at the end of John's Gospel. It's actually the fourth time that Jesus has appeared since the resurrection. After the tomb has been found empty and Jesus has appeared to Mary in the garden, after Jesus has broken through locked doors to appear to the disciples, and even after Jesus has appeared to Thomas and the rest of the disciples in the midst of his own doubts and confusions, after all these things, chapter 21 begins, Jesus shows himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. But what's most surprising to me is that after all these things have happened, notice what the disciples have decided to do next. They've decided to go fishing. Now, it's actually Simon Peter's idea, and perhaps he's wanting to get away from everything that's happening. After all, he's the one who denied even knowing Jesus. He probably doesn't know what to do about that now. Or maybe he wants to go back to what he was doing before he met Jesus, before that divine interruption that changed his life, when Jesus walked by his fishing boat on the Sea of Galilee and said, hey, come follow me. And so after everything that has happened, Peter goes back to what is most familiar to him, to what feels most safe. He says to the disciples, I'm going fishing, and they all follow along. Except that after a whole night of fishing, of doing the one thing that Peter should be good at doing, he and the disciples have failed once again. They have been fishing all night long, and they haven't caught one single fish. And so just after daybreak, a voice calls out to them from the beach and says, why don't you cast out your net to the right side of your boat? Why don't you let your net down just one more time? You know, it's often said that the definition of insanity is to do the same thing over and over again and to expect different results. Now, I don't love this phrase because I never want to use language that makes light of a mental health condition, but I think we can resonate with the point that it's trying to make, that perhaps it's absurd or foolish to do the same thing over and over again and to expect different results. As another old saying goes, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always gotten. And yet, you could say that's exactly what the disciples are asked to do here. Logic would say, we have been letting our nets down for hours all throughout the night, and we haven't caught a single fish. We're exhausted, we haven't slept at all, and we're calling it a night. I mean, why in the world would letting our nets down one more time make any difference at all? But the voice that calls out to them from the beach defies any sort of logic. It's a voice that asks Peter and the rest of the disciples to take a risk, to let down their nets even though it doesn't make sense, to do the same thing that they have been doing for hours, and to expect a different result. Now the text doesn't say if they debated what to do in this moment if they rolled their eyes at the request of this bystander on the beach, if they were annoyed or frustrated with the thought of doing one more time what they have been entirely unsuccessful at doing all night long, or if they were just so tired and sleep-deprived that they were willing to try just about anything. All we know is that they did cast their net one more time, and immediately they were not even able to haul it back in because it was so heavy with so many fish. You know, this text causes me to pause and ask myself, what if it's not foolish to do the same thing over and over again and to expect different results? What if that's actually part of what it means to be faithful? I think we see this over and over again throughout Scripture. For instance, 1 Thessalonians challenges us to be people who pray without ceasing. 
We are called to pray even when things haven't turned out as we have hoped, to keep doing the same thing, to keep praying, and to keep expecting God to show up. Or when we have been hurt or betrayed, we're called to keep on forgiving, even 77 times, as Jesus tells Peter. And like the parable of the sower, we are called to keep planting seeds, even when we don't know where they might fall, even if we don't know if it will make any kind of difference at all. As Galatians reminds us, we are not to become weary in well-doing because we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And so sometimes we keep doing the same exact things over and over again in faith, trusting in a God who always surprises. As I was working on the sermon this week, I began to think about what this kind of faithfulness looks like among us at Calvary. And I didn't ask her permission to share this, so perhaps I will ask for forgiveness later. But the very first person who came to my mind was Gail Lentz. Do you know that Gail has been teaching our preschool Sunday school here at Calvary for over 40 years? Since 1978. For over 40 years, Gail has been welcoming and teaching and caring for some of the youngest members of the Calvary family. Each week she creates a safe place, especially for them, where church is fun and engaging, where there's always a new project, there's always a fresh new batch of homemade Play-Doh, and where the love of God is experienced in real, tangible ways, so close that you can touch it, taste it, smell it, and feel it week after week after week. You see, for 40 years, I believe Gail has been throwing her net over the boat again and again and expecting God to show up on the days when she feels like it, on the, and on the days when maybe she doesn't. On the days when our children are well-behaved and wonderful, and on the days when she may not know if they're hearing a single word that she's saying. But week after week, she has continued to cast her net wide into that magical classroom at the corner of our church, never knowing how or where God might show up next. Friends, in what ways is Jesus inviting you to keep casting your nets over, to keep trusting in a God who always surprises? Because that is the invitation in today's text. After the disciples let out their net, it fills with fish, and then they recognize that it's Jesus who is calling to them from the beach. So I don't know which is the greater surprise here, the fish filling the net or the risen Jesus making breakfast for them on the shore. But I believe that when we trust in Jesus enough to let out our nets, to try again, even when the night has been long, even when it feels like we have failed, and when we trust in a God who can always be depended upon but never anticipated precisely, I believe that that's because surprises are always waiting on the other side. And the biggest surprise that I think we see here at the end of John's Gospel is grace. You see, if you turn back to John 1, that's actually where the Gospel story begins. John 1.14 says that the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, full of grace and truth. And from his fullness, it says, we have all received grace upon grace. But what's interesting to me and to a lot of scholars is that after the prologue, grace isn't mentioned ever again in John's gospel. And if it were so important for John to mention that Jesus would bring this abundant grace upon grace into the world at the beginning of the story, why would he never mention it again? But perhaps he doesn't need to use the word in order to show us grace upon grace. Maybe it looks like a ridiculous number of fish, 153 to be exact, so big that they almost burst the net. You see, lots of people have theories about what this random number of fish means. 
that I can't help but wonder if it's pointing us to the abundance of grace upon grace upon grace. As Caroline Lewis writes, this resurrection story is to reveal that grace upon grace is true. After all, by definition, grace upon grace cannot be restrained to a passage, to a gospel, and that's the point of John 21, to show by a ridiculous amount of fish that God's grace cannot be limited to the incarnation, to the crucifixion, to the tomb, to the resurrection, and certainly not to the end of a gospel story called John. In fact, if you look at the very last sentence of the gospel, it's even communicating this overwhelming abundance of what Jesus has done. Verse 25 says, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. And so, from the very beginning to the very end, John's gospel communicates this abundance. The nets can't contain all the fish that have been caught, and just as John's gospel can't contain all the stories about Jesus, because it's grace upon grace upon grace. But you know, that brings me back to the idea that we can't learn much from our successes, because only our failures can teach us about grace. J.K. Rowling told graduates at Harvard that day, Had I really succeeded at anything else, I might never have found the determination to succeed in the one area I believed I truly belonged. Failure set me free because my greatest fear had been realized, and yet I still had a daughter whom I adored, and an old typewriter, and a big idea. And so rock bottom became the solid foundation on which I rebuilt my life. You might never fail on the scale I did, but some failure in life is inevitable. It's impossible to live without failing at something, unless you live so cautiously that you might as well not have lived at all, in which case you fail by default. Failure taught me things about myself that I could have learned no other way. I discovered that I had a strong will and more discipline than I had suspected. I also found out that I had friends whose value was truly above the price of rubies. You will never truly know yourself for the strength of your relationships, she says, until both have been tested by adversity. Such knowledge is a true gift for all that it is painfully won, and it has been worth more than any qualification I have ever earned. And so on the days when you feel like a failure, on the days when you are trying your best to be faithful, and on the days when your net just keeps coming up empty, may God grant you the courage to keep casting your net into the sea. Because even and especially when we least expect it, God always surprises us with grace. And so, God, I ask this morning that we might consider the ways in which our nets are empty and we feel like we've kept throwing them over the boat and kept coming back with nothing. God, would you give us courage to throw them over one more time? Would you give us eyes to see your grace in unexpected ways, in unlikely people, and surprising situations? God, even when we have hit rock bottom, remind us that you are a God who brings grace upon grace upon grace. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Well, maybe today you would like to respond to the surprise of that very first Easter morning and the news of Jesus' resurrection. Maybe you want to join our community of faith here at Calvary, where we seek to know and follow Jesus together in the best ways we know how. We would love to welcome you into this family today. And so however God leads you to respond, our ministers will be in the back of the sanctuary, ready to receive you and to pray with you as we continue in worship. Thank you.
Let's pray together. God, thank you for being here now. Help us to remember one of your greatest surprises, that your love has always and will always meet all of our needs. And what if we lived and gave, received, and loved as if this surprise was actually a promise? God, keep turning our lives upside down to this end and deeper into your love. Amen.
as we are leaving today, just a few things to remember. First, congratulations to all who graduated this weekend. And I know we have quite a few who are with family here today, and that this may be their last Sunday with us at Calvary. And so if you see one of our graduates, we recognized them in worship last week, but I hope you'll take a moment to visit with them after worship today. Also, I don't know if you've heard that um, Jim Coston, our former pastor, his mother passed away this week really unexpectedly. Uh, she was staying with his sister in Nashville and, and passed away in the night. And so we want to remember the Coston family in our prayers as well. Children's Bible Club is right around the corner. It starts three weeks from today, if you can believe that. And we really need the whole church family engaged in some week, in this, li in this week in the life of our church. And so I hope you'll visit with Jenny or see the sign-up sheets in the Welcome Center after worship today. I know she would love to help you find a way to be part of that. And then lastly, as you leave today, I hope you'll write a note to one of our seniors. Allie has bags in the back of the sanctuary, and our seniors who are graduating from high school will be recognized tonight at a special youth family dinner, and we love to present them with bags of notes from our church family. Well, please join me in this benediction. Friends, may the God who calls you from this place journey with you as you go. May God delight in you with joy, bringing unimagined graces. Walk with you in darkness, shining light along your way. May God be close to you in pain, giving strength for every moment, and comfort you in fear, granting courage to be brave. May God's love surround you. May Christ's mercy astound you. And may the Spirit abound within you, so that you live in the fullness of the God who is with us always. Amen. <laughs>